Alhamdulillah, we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for He alone is worthy of praise. And we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having guided us to this religion and this faith. And indeed, if Allah had not guided us, we would not be guided. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the good of this world and the good of the next. And we seek refuge in Allah from the evil of our souls and the consequences of our actions. Whomever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guides, none can misguide. And whomever He chooses to misguide, none can guide Him to the straight path. I bear witness and I testify that there is no deity worthy of worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is his final prophet and his most perfect worshipper. As to what follows, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded us to be conscious of him and to submit until we die. For he says in the Quran, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanu attaqullaha haqqa tuqatih wa la tamutunna illa wa antum muslimun. Dear Muslims, Today's khutbah is a unique and different one. It is a khutbah that is meant for inquiring and inquisitive minds. It is a khutbah that is catered to our next generation, a generation that is witnessing new challenges and new threats, the likes of which are completely unprecedented in human history. The advancements in technology and our understandings of science have allowed the spread of new ideologies, new understandings, new questions that perhaps our ancestors never even thought of. It is now vogue to reject religion in totality. It is the norm amongst many in the scientific community to doubt the very existence of God, something that was unheard of for almost the entirety of human existence. So it is not surprising that when we live in such a new time, unprecedented time, that questions ask are asked that even our own fathers and ancestors would not even have thought of. I get bombarded with emails and even people coming to my office verbalizing questions that I fully understand. Some of you elders would even not want to hear the question, much less begin with the answer. But with my utmost respect to the elders, your ignoring the question will not make the questions go away. And we need to be frank and address the challenges given the times that we have today. Now one khutbah can only do so much. But I want to begin the discussion and inshallah spark the intellectual dialogue. And inshallah ta'ala I'm here for anybody that wants to follow up with other questions or concerns. We begin with the very basic premise. How do we even know there is a creator and a God? And if we look at the Qur'an, we find quite interestingly that the Qur'an does not engage with this notion of atheism the way that we understand it. The Qur'an takes the existence of God as a given. The Qur'an does not give complex, multifaceted proofs in order to prove the existence of God. On the contrary, the Qur'an assumes that the existence of God is self-evident. Our existence is enough evidence of His existence. And in fact, this is the logical and rational understanding of the world around us. Descartes famously remarked, I think, therefore I am. He doubted his own existence. We as Muslims will add to that, I think, therefore he is. The very fact that I exist, and the very fact that I have consciousness, and the very fact that I am thinking, it is enough 
of a proof. It is enough of a realization that He exists. I would not be here if He were not here. And I would not be able to be conscious and think if He did not imbibe in me the faculties to be conscious and to be inquisitive. And in fact, dear Muslims, we are just beginning to understand the complexity of life around us. The amount of information that is stored in our DNA, our supercomputers of today have challenges to unpack. The complex circuitry of ourselves, we continually make discoveries in every single discipline, in biology, in physics, in astronomy, that continue to astound us. And these disciplines that we study, these disciplines that we specialize in, you can only specialize in one. You cannot be a cutting-edge physicist and a cutting-edge uh, biologist at the same time. We can only specialize in one. But the reality is that the world around us, these specializations and these disciplines do not exist separately from one another. In reality, the laws of physics and biology and chemistry and astronomy all interplay together. They simultaneously exist in ourselves and within our bodies. And the seamless working together of all of this around us is enough of an indication that there is a designer out there of supreme power and supreme knowledge. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenges in the Quran. Look at the creation. Do you find a flaw? Look again and keep on looking. Karrir, Allah says in the Quran. فَرْجِعِ الْبَصَرَ هَلْ تَرَى مِنْ فُطُورِ ثُمَّ رَجِعِ الْبَصَرَ كَرَّتَيْنِ يَنْقَلِبْ إِلَيْكَ بَصَرُ خَاسٍ وَهُوَ you will become tired, your mind will become fatigued, you will not find a flaw in this perfect, all perfect design. The strength and the power and the perfection and the beauty of the creation is an indication of the strength and the power and the knowledge of the Creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran explicitly in the end of Surah Al-Talaq, go read it. Allah explicitly says that He has created the creation so that you may know that Allah is all-powerful and all-knowledgeable. Notice, Allah is powerful and knowledgeable. The creation itself will tell you, forget the existence of the Creator, that is a given. It will tell you the attributes of the Creator. It will tell you the names of the Creator. The Creator of this creation must be all-powerful, must be all-knowledgeable, must be aware of everything. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala links these two attributes in particular to the existence of the creation. In fact, the Quran, the Quran does not even challenge, the Quran does not even address atheists the way that it addresses pagans and the way that it addresses idolaters. If, if you were to say there are verses in the Quran about atheists, perhaps you can extract only one verse in the entire Quran and that is in Surah Tur when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Am min ghayri shay'in am humul did they create were they created from nothing or did they create themselves where did they come from were they created from nothing this is the most explicit verse in the Quran that talks about the phenomenon of atheism and even then Allah does not address it directly he addresses it as a rhetorical question do you really think all of this came out of nothing can anybody actually say this and subhanallah brothers and sisters the Quran constantly challenges us to think about the creation to affirm the creator 
So many verses. Don't they see themselves? Don't they see the, the camel? Don't they see the stars? Don't they see within themselves? So many verses. But here's the point. Here's the catch. None of those verses is directed to atheists. All of them are directed to polytheists, those who worship multiple gods. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives more credit to polytheism than he gives to atheism. He actually engages with polytheists intellectually. He engages with them and says, how can you believe in a multiple of gods when the harmony around us indicates there is but one God? So the verses of the Quran that are about tadabbur, tafakkur, that are about examining the creation, they are addressed to those who, who believed in multiple gods and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says if there were multiple gods this harmony would not exist if there were other gods besides Allah, this creation would become chaotic. It would have nothing but fasad. In Surah Mu'minun, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that if there were other gods besides Allah, every god would take its own creation away from the other gods. And the gods would be fighting one another. You would not have the perfect harmony, the symmetry you would not have this entire universe working in unison and cooperating for a common goal if there were multiple gods. So the purpose of all of these verses is to prove monotheism. And that's where all of these verses come into play. As for agnosticism, as for atheism, the fact of the matter is that denying a god does not stem from rational evidence. It stems from a spiritual arrogance. It stems from an arrogance of not wanting to believe because because the evidences for the existence of a creator are too numerous to count. The very fact that you are looking for evidence, the very fact that you exist and you have a rationality to hunt for evidence is enough of an evidence that he exists. So how can somebody who denies the existence of God be given any proof when he himself is the existence of God? He is not even willing to look at himself and he wants external proof. So the Quran does not give them too much weight and the Quran dismisses it as a spiritual arrogance. You cannot argue for the, to the one who is already arrogant in his mind. But you can argue and debate with the one who has a rational fault. And that is why the Quran gives more credit to the Ahli Kitab and even to the polytheists than it does to those who reject the concept of a God. So as we said, the concept of a God is a given. And in fact, the Quran affirms monotheism via the perfection of the creation around us. But then the next question arises. Some people say, yes, there might, have been, there might be a God, I believe that, but I don't believe in organized religion. And this is very common. 32% of the people of this land and 60 to 70% of some of the lands in Europe, they tick the box that says spiritual but not religious. 30% of our nation, one out of every three, they believe in some being, but they don't believe in religion. Spiritual, I believe there's something, but not religious. I don't affiliate with a particular religion. And this philosophy, it's called deism or theism, that you believe there is a God, but you don't believe in religion. And this too, the Quran challenges directly. And the Quran refutes this concept as being inconsistent, intellectually inconsistent. Allah says in the Quran, that Did man think that he would be left after being created without being given guidance? Did man think he would be left without any guidance? In other words, 
The perfection of the creation indicates that the Creator is active in our lives. He's not a passive God who created us and then left the world. No! The way that He created this world indicates He is an active God. He participates, He takes care of, He answers. So how could such a God take care of our physical needs and ignore our spiritual ones? How can the world be created so perfectly such that every single atom of creation is in harmony and perfection? Every aspect of our physical lives is taken care of. And yet, the spiritual question, the question of why we are here, what is the purpose of life, what is right and wrong, what will happen after death, how can those be ignored? In fact, it would make more sense to ignore the physical and concentrate on the spiritual but Allah has ignored neither and Allah has neglected neither Allah has taken care of our physical and of our spiritual and intellectual well-beings and that is why Allah sends the prophets and the messengers to communicate with us we believe as Muslims that a true God would not just abandon his creation what type of God is it that creates and then leaves no Allah says in the Quran did man think we created him for no reason Batil as a jest Allah says, I don't play games. This is in the Quran. I don't play games. I don't do something for no reason. So the fact that we exist in such perfection is an indication that there is a reason for existence. Now, how do we know that reason? Allah must tell us and he tells us via prophets and via messengers. And that is why we as Muslims firmly believe that if you believe in a God, you must believe in religion as well. To believe in a God without religion is to not believe in a real God. This is an imagination. God. A God by definition will be involved in the spiritual well-being of his creation and that is why religion is a necessary part of life. It informs us of the purpose of life. It tells us why we are here. It teaches us morality without religion by the way and study your philosophy. Without religion there is no ultimate morality. Any action, any lifestyle, any deed can be justified intellectually if you remove God from the picture. Only with God and only with faith do you have morality do you have civil society do you have identity and community if you reject religion the alternative is a complete free-for-all every person becomes a religion and a theology and a morality unto himself and frankly we're already seeing the beginnings of this in the current uh, uh, world that we live in where everything goes and every person follows his own desires this is not the sign of a true God the true God communicates with with his creation and tells his creation right from wrong so we believe in Allah Azza wa Jal we believe in a God I should say right now we believe in faith but then the question arises what faith that's the next question how do we know my faith is the correct faith because an outside critic will come to you at some point in your life and he will say to you you're just a Muslim because your parents are Muslim you're just a Muslim because you were born in a Muslim household and your neighbor's a Christian because his parents are Christian and your other neighbor's a Jew because his parents are a Jew. And this will bring an element of doubt because statistically, that is pretty much correct. The majority of people of one faith happen to be born into that faith. So the external critic comes along and he challenges you. He says, you really are just a born Muslim. We're talking here to those that are born in the faith. As for the converts, they are, alhamdulillah, they passed the test. As for us who are born, the external critic will come and plant that seed of doubt. He's going to say, you haven't done your research. You haven't done all the faiths and studied them to come to the logical conclusion that Islam and only Islam is true. 
And this will cause a question to come. How do I know my faith is true? Okay, we've shown there's a God. We've shown that God is one. We've shown monotheism. We've shown that God must reveal a religion. But then how do we know which religion? Now this is a very, again, all of these are very lengthy questions. I'll give three simple responses. How do we know Islam is true? Three simple responses. Firstly, an external evidence. Secondly, an internal evidence to the faith. And thirdly, an internal evidence in our souls. External, internal to the faith, internal to our souls. As for the external evidence that Islam is true, the number one miracle that gives us yaqeen beyond the shadow of a doubt is that of the Qur'an. Whenever in doubt, read the Qur'an. Whenever a waswasa comes, a doubt comes to you, listen to the Qur'an. The Qur'an is the ultimate miracle that any prophet has ever been given. It is the miracle of miracles. No prophet has been given a miracle that even comes close to that of the Qur'an. It is the eternal, the living, the tangible miracle. It is the miracle that every single one here in this audience and across the globe that listens to the Qur'an knows it to be true. For an unlettered prophet without any formal education in the desert of the 7th century of Arabia to produce a recitation whose very words move men to tears, whose sounds produce spiritual awakenings, even amongst those who don't understand it, their emotions are moved, whose teachings transcend any time and place, whose preservation is beyond question. The Quran is the ultimate miracle of miracles, and all one needs to do is to listen and to read and to recite the very fact that this is a lived book, a memorized book, that a non-Arab who doesn't understand a word of Arabic can memorize the entire Quran cover to cover line by line every half of the Quran is a walking miracle what other book forget holy what other book is there that can be memorized in this fashion other than the Quran and Allah mentions in the Quran the Quran is clear ayat in the chests of the people of knowledge it's mentioned in the Quran that the Quran is going to be preserved in the chests of men as we see it today so this is the first proof it's external the Quran the second mechanism is internal to the faith and that is the teachings of Islam look at what Islam teaches no other religion is as logical as Islam no other religion is as simple so by process of elimination polytheism does not make any sense Trinity nobody understands it the God is the son the father what is this the, the notion that the, 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 the ethnicity of one group is only good, which is not our uh, religion. Another religion says one religion, one race is the chosen race. Doesn't make any sense. Islam's theology is simple. It is logical. Even a child can understand it. One God, one purpose, one mankind. Worship Him. Live moral lives. There is life after death. In that life after death, you will find the, the wisdom of suffering and pain. Infinite justice. Because one of the biggest problems of these atheists is to explain evil and to explain justice. Why is there evil? Why is there pain? Why is there suffering? We answer all of this with the Akhirah. There is infinite justice, but not in this world. Every pain, every suffering, you will be rewarded, but in the next world. We bring in the concept of the Akhirah to understand some of the problems of this world. So the simple theology of Islam, Tawheed, Risala, Akhirah. We believe in one God. He sent a series of prophets with the same message, and we believe in life after death. There is no other faith that is as simple and as rational and as logical and answers the big questions. It explains life and death pain and suffering, infinite justice,
justice, all is explained in the simple theology of La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah. The third mechanism of knowing that our faith is true, we said the first was external, the Quran, the second was internal to the faith, theology, and teachings, the third is internal to us in our own souls, and that is a miracle of creation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us not just with the faculties of hearing and seeing and speaking and, 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 and the faculty of intelligence. There is another faculty. And this faculty is one of intuition, spiritual intuition. The Arabic term is fitra. fitra. And fitra is a spiritual faculty. It's embedded not in our brains, but in our soul, ruh. Because of the fitra, because of this embedded, inherent faculty, all of mankind has an intrinsic understanding of right and wrong. When we do something good, we feel good. When we do something bad, we feel guilty. When we worship Allah, we feel a sense of purpose. There's an intuition within all of us. We are born with it. It's not acquired. We are born with it. Our Prophet ﷺ said, every single child is born with the fitrah. Then his parents corrupt him. His parents change him to this faith or that faith. He did not say his parents make him a Muslim. No, his parents make him this faith or that faith. But the fitrah and Islam are compatible. How do we know Islam is true? Because to the very core of our being, to the very depths of our being, our intuition is in harmony with the theology of Islam, with the teachings of Islam. We know internally that Islam makes sense. We don't have to research every one of the 500 religions on earth. We don't have to read the holy books of every other scripture. Intuitively, our soul, our psyche, our ruh is in harmony with our faith. And the fact of the matter is, every other faith tradition, their soul is not in harmony with their faith. And that explains, by the way, why people convert to Islam and why hardly anybody in the history of Islam has hardly anybody. In fact, we do not know of any scholar, any hafiz of the Quran. We do not know of any researcher who after researching all the religions have left Islam and then embraced another faith. You do find people who were never really Muslim in the first place and they accept another faith. But in reality, as we're all aware, people convert to our faith. In every community across this country and across the globe, you will find converts to Islam. Why? Because the fitrah is in harmony with Islam. So a person of a pure soul, a person of a pure fitrah will be attracted to Islam. By the way, the fitrah also explains many other phenomena. For example, religiosity. Why is it that Muslim lands across the globe Belief in God, belief in morality, belief in the hereafter is very high. Gallup survey did a poll about who believes in God in the world. You can see a huge difference between Muslim countries, 90%, 95%, I think the highest or the lowest was like 78, 79% versus Western countries, 35, 40, 50%. In many countries, 20%. Why is this marked difference between Muslim lands and others? Because when Iman settles in the heart, when faith comes in the heart, the and the faith are going to be cooperating together. They stick together. This is the reality we see. Another manifestation of the fitra. Very interesting. Wherever Muslim civilization went, Islam remained, even if the civilization left. Wherever Muslim empires came, the religion remained even when the empires left. However, any time an empire came of another faith, they left and their faith left and their culture left. Alexander the Great conquered more than half of the world. Where is his kingdom? Where is his faith? Where is his paganism? Chinggis Khan conquered most of the world of his time. Where are the people who follow his ideology? Nowhere to be found. 
wherever the Muslims went, even if the powers went, the kings went, the dynasty went, Islam remained amongst the people and it remained with pride. It remained as their main heritage from the borders of China all the way to Africa. Islam, wherever it went and spread, it settled in the people's heart unless they were politically persecuted like in Andalus in Spain. Otherwise, this is a sign of a true faith that where it goes, the people embrace it and they keep it. Even after the conquerors leave, they still retain the faith because the fitrah and the faith are in harmony together. So dear Muslims, I have spoken very briefly about the fact that it is obvious that there is a God. It is obvious that God is one. It is obvious that that God is all powerful, all knowledgeable. It is obvious that that God would send a religion and that religion will be for all of mankind and communicate with us. And then we have to affirm our faith tradition and we affirm that via a number of things. Other things can also be mentioned, but I mentioned three of them. And with that, we come to the conclusion of every rational mind that Islam is true and Allah is true and the Prophet ﷺ is true and the Quran is true. Much more can be said, but with these basic truths, I want you to start thinking about other issues and we'll continue in the second khutbah as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless me and you with and through the Quran and may he make us of those who its verses they understand and applies halal and haram throughout our lifespan. I ask Allah's forgiveness you as well ask him for his the ghafoor and the rahman. Alhamdulillah all praises due to Allah the one and the unique it is he alone that we worship and it is his blessings that we seek he is the Lord of the weak and he answers the call of the oppressed. Dear Muslim, one of the other issues that needs to be discussed and time is very limited is the very complex and difficult question which is actually another genre of questions. A lot of people come and they say, I don't understand this ruling of Islam. How could a just Lord have allowed this? Why did Allah make this haram? Why did Allah allow this for the Prophet ﷺ? And he asks a very, a very specific question about an issue of morality, an issue of fiqh, a commandment, a ruling. It's an ethical dilemma. So this brother, this sister, they say, you know, I agree with a lot of things you're saying, but I don't understand this one ruling of Islam. And my mind finds it problematic that Allah would allow this or obligate it or whatnot. So this is a whole other topic. Time is very limited, but we have to simply answer in a very generic manner. First and foremost, you have to ask yourself, how do you decide the truth of a faith? Is it decided based upon whether you understand every single ruling? Or is it decided based upon the bigger questions? You see, if Allah allowed or didn't allow some issue, some commandment, some ruling, some fiqh, these are smaller issues. The bigger issue is that of theology, of Iman, of the Akhirah. And that's how we decide the truth of a religion. We do not decide the truth of a religion on these secondary issues. We decide on the big issues. Who created me? What's the purpose of life? What's going to happen after death? And only Islam solves all of these answers. Now, you come to an ethical dilemma. The Quran might allow X. The Quran might forbid Y. And you don't understand why that is the case. We say, you do not decide the validity of a ruling simply because you do not understand it. The first person to reject the worship of Allah because he didn't understand the ruling was Iblis. When Allah said to Iblis, bow down to Adam, Iblis thought, I am better. His mind told him, I'm better. Why should I follow Allah? 
Allah Azza wa Jal, I should be the one the angel should bow down to. Be very careful and put the mind in its proper place. Secondly, dear Muslim, when it comes to these ethical issues, we have to differentiate between what might have been allowed in the past versus what is obligated in the present. And this is a very deep topic and please don't misunderstand me. Islam came for all times and places. And therefore, there's a lot of laxity in the Sharia, in the revelation about certain things that maybe in our times are no longer done. And just because it was allowed in the past does not mean it needs to be replicated in our time. And it is up to the ulama, trained ulama and jurists to decide for every time, for every culture, for every place. A simple example is the age of marriage. Once upon a time, younger people got married, very young, and that was the norm. We might problematize that, and we don't have to follow that ruling. That was there for the past, nothing wrong with them doing that. But we do have the right, and the fiqh council and others have raised the age of marriage and said, you know, in our time and place, a young boy, a young girl should not get married. We should raise that to, which is a, a sensible age. This is something that the sharia has to cater to the entire globe for all of eternity, for all of mankind. So the fact that the sharia is silent does not mean we have to take that ruling and apply it in our age. So we have to be very careful. Most of the ethical issues that our young men and women bring, it can be said, you know, different times, different places, and the fact that it was permissible in the past, we now have the right, for example, across the globe, slavery has now been finished and banned. And the ulama of this religion a hundred years ago also did this, that across the globe, there's no more milk yameen and whatnot. So this is something we can think about, we we'll leave it to the ulama to do. And thirdly, if it is something that Allah Azza wa Jal obligated. Allah made haram because the second category was mubah, it's neutral. The third category, what if Allah said it is haram or Allah said you must do it. In this case, we have to understand our fragile and imperfect minds. Here we have to understand that perhaps our ethical standards, our moral compass might be corrupted by the society we live in. The Quraysh of the past, they found the Quranic prohibition of racism highly problematic. They said, why is racism bad? The Arabs are better than non-Arabs. Everybody believed that back then. They firmly believed in a hierarchy of races. And some of them rejected Islam because Islam said all races are equal. We have to be careful of trying to replicate that mindset. If all of society doesn't evil, and we are born in that society, don't be surprised that we might see that evil as good. We have to be brave enough to acknowledge the fragility of our own minds and our own intellects. And if it is a secondary issue of ethics, of sexuality, of something to do with gender or something of this nature, and the sharia is clear, this is haram, this is halal, then even if we don't understand, there's an element of I submit to Allah. There must be a leap of faith because the biggest questions have been answered by Islam. We know Allah is true. We know the Prophet is true. We know the Quran is true. Now the Quran comes and says, this is haram. And there's no ambiguity. Even if I don't understand why, this is where faith comes in. Oh Allah, I must trust you because I know you are my creator. Subhanallah, dear Muslims, Allah says about alcohol. Everybody would drink alcohol back then. Even those who converted to Islam, the first batch of Muslims, the Sahaba in Mecca, many of them would drink alcohol. It was halal back then, right before it was haram. Allah revealed in the Quran, alcohol, they're asking you about khamar, about wine. There is some benefit, but there is much harm. And the harm is more than the benefit. Now I ask you, do you think an alcoholic would understand that the harm is more than the benefit? 
Of course not. In his mind, he sees the good is more than the evil. How can you expect the one involved to understand? So there must be an element of trust that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows and I do not know. So these are the three simple ways that we do this to understand these complex issues. And of course, every one of these issues can be elaborated on in more detail. To conclude, dear Muslims, I want to just remind me and you of some very basic things. First and foremost, when in doubt, Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ihdina sirat al-mustaqeem. Always make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We firmly believe anybody who is sincere will never be misguided. Allah does not misguide the sincere. Turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, fill your life up with elements of spirituality, with elements of practice because... Sometimes the problem is not in the mind, it is in the soul. So make sure you're feeding the soul. Read the Quran, do your adhkar, pray your prayers as you ask Allah for guidance. Thirdly, ask the people of knowledge. Now I fully understand that sometimes your elders and some of the elders of the community will not be able to respond in ways that you appreciate. I understand these are difficult questions. Cut them some slack. Nobody's asked these questions until your generation. But you will find answers. Do your research. If I'm here to help you, inshallah, I'm here. Others can also. There's online. Many people are answering. Where there's a will, there's a way. Turn to Allah. Make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Fill your life with spiritual, meaningful aspects and then ask the people of knowledge and then lastly dear muslims understand that your mind is not the ultimate criterion of good and evil there might be things you don't understand understand that there might be things you don't understand and there's nothing wrong with admitting you're a fallible human being allah knows best and that knowledge of allah knows best should be enough for you to accept all of the revelation as it is. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide all of us to the truth. I'm making dua, so say ameen after me. Oh Allah, we ask that you leave, not leave any sin of ours here except that you have overlooked them. Oh Allah, do not leave any sick amongst us except that you have healed them. Oh Allah, do not leave any deceased amongst us except that you have forgiven them. Oh Allah, do not leave any misguided amongst us except that you have guided them. Oh Allah, do not leave any debt of ours except that you have repaid them. Oh Allah, do not leave any problem of ours except that you have blessed us to overcome them. Ya Rahmanu, Ya Rahim. Oh Allah, we beg from you to lift from us this plague and this disease and to bless us with a life of comfort and ease. You are the Qawi and the Aziz. Oh Allah, of this dunya, we ask you its best and on judgment day that we pass the test and of the Akhirah that you make us amongst the blessed. Oh Allah, bless Islam and its people and the Ummah, make it safe and peaceful and protected against those who desire for it evil. Oh Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded you with a command that he began with himself and he seconded with the angels and he then told all of us to follow. For he says in the Quran, Inna Allah wa malaykatu yusallun ala nabi ya ayyuhalladhina amanu sallu alayhi wa sallimu taslima Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik wa an'im al-abdika rasulika Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in ibadah الله إن الله تعالى يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء القربة وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعذكم لعلكم تذكرون أذكر الله العظيم أذكركم واشكروا يزد لكم ولذكر الله تعالى أكبر وأقم الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح قد قامت الصلاة قد قامت الصلاة الله أكبر الله أكبر 
La ilaha illallah La ilaha illallah Stow, i'tadilu Allahu Akbar Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustaqim Sirat Al-Lazina An'amta Alayhim Ghaydil Maghdubi Alayhim Waladdallin Amin ألهاكم التكاثر حتى زرتم المقابل كلا سوف تعلمون ثم كلا سوف تعلمون كلا لو تعلمون علم اليقين لترون الجحيم ثم لترونها عين اليقين ثم لتسألن يومئذ عن النعيم الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين إياك نعبد وإياك نستعين اهدنا الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا الضالين آمين قل هو الله أحد الله الصمد لم يلد ولم يولد لم يلد ولم يولد ولم يكن له كفوا أحد الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله الله أكبر الله أكبر ولله الحمد